0: Do you guys want us to be on mute then? Because, you know, if if Delma says something, we're going to... We're
1: going to respond to it. <laughs> yes, mute yourselves. Thank you.
0: Do not, do not mute no, yourself. No, mute
1: yourself. We would never finish this recording. Mute Delma.
2: Do not mute yourself. Just like a just like a man to want to mute women. I was going to say, we're not actually following the patriarchy in this yeah. room. Sorry.
3: Shandane, would you?
2: He talks the big game about gender, but in reality?
3: Socially aware men are the worst. Shandane,
1: would you mind sharing with our two guests? that uh, our guests always mute themselves for the first half of the show? Would you mind conveying that to them? They don't. They 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 actually don't. Why are you lying? (gasps) Because... Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson.
2: And I'm Shandine Garcia. And we are so excited today to be joined with two brilliant women, Stevie Atkins and Teresa Springer. And hopefully they're also going to bring all of their brilliance and energy and wisdom and give Delma a hard time as well.
1: That's That's your hope for this episode?
2: Yes. Wow. I think it's reasonable. I'm
1: so keeping that because I need our listeners to understand how you treat me. Like, for real, for real. Because I catch flack for treating you wrong, but they don't understand. You start this shit. But anyway. Um,
2: I'm sorry. I wasn't I listening. I unmuted. I'm like, Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Say Never say mind. The thing.
1: What I want to ask you. I
2: was pretty sure.
1: Is um, how are you? What's on your mind? What's up? Talk to me. Let's check in.
2: Why do I always have to start because
1: first? Because I'm always asking you first because I'm nice like that.
2: And control? You're controlling? Wow. Yeah, I get it. Well, before we started officially wow. recording and before we were joined by um, our beautiful guests today, we, you and I were talking deep about harboring ill yeah. will. Like wh- what... What is it about us? What's, what's beneath the harboring of the ill will? So we, we can think of it in, in the context of, let me just go with, like, exes that I've had, mm-hmm. right? Like, they end up um, flourishing and becoming better people. And, like, do I want them to be bad people? No, but it'd be nice if they did that shit when they were mm-hmm.
3: with me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so, like, is, does that make me a shitty person that that's the shit that's in my head? Um, I don't, and I don't mean it like to be clear for anyone who's listening. And I don't mean it about the father of my children. Like the more he flourishes, thrives, and, and grows, and it's better for my sons to have, you know, uh, a good man who's growing and thriving. And but I also think it's not just about exes, like people who have harmed me. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to feel compassion for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I just do. And like, does that mean, does that mean I want them to, you know, be ter- Like what's the opposite of flourish? Will Like be wither. decrepit and worse <laughs> and wither away in, in, in some shitty, bitter, unhappy uh-huh. life. I don't know that I want that, but. I don't know. I re- yes, I'm a horrible human. I do harbor <laughs> ill will against people who have harmed me and have not done anything around making amends. I just do, and I don't. I want to think that I can center forgiveness all the time. I want to try to be someone who um, can be like, well, that's their journey, blah blah blah, and I'm going to be go my journey. And I, but no, I hold on to it. And I think about it, and if I hear through social media that they're doing well. Like I, I hope they fucking trip on their way to the goddamn mailbox and, like, chip their tooth and, like, struggle to get a dentist appointment and then have to show up in a convening with, like, a chipped tooth and, like, can't get access to pain meds and be miserable for the rest of the
1: day. <laughs> Damn. That was, that was well strung together. Um
0: I like, yeah, thought no, about it before it, it, You yeah, know what I mean? No. Yeah. Um,
1: I have that issue at the level of individuals. I have that at the level of institutions. I have that at the level of nations, to be honest with you. Like I feel that way about the United States. I feel that I feel I hold still some ill will towards certain institutions that I belong to. Um, that have done me wrong. I'm thinking about you, the University of Michigan, Flint. Um, I'm thinking about some people in my life, Um, exes um, and just frenemies. And like you said, I want to be better than I am. And I want to wish the best because what you were saying about the father of your sons is true for communities. It's true for institutions. It's true for nations, right? Like if any of those things are thriving, it's we're all better off for it, right? If any of those components get their shit together, then that means a whole lot of other people have a better existence. And I understand that logically, but it doesn't stop me from, yeah, just not wanting to still hold this shit.
2: To get to your point around instant, um, the world is better when these locations Institutions, individual, whatever, like that they, when they flourish. Mm-hmm. We know who has the, capa- I like egotistically, I don't know, whatever. Is. I think I know who has the capacity and who doesn't. Like, would I celebrate if Yale University were burnt down today and never able to like come back mm-hmm. up again? You're goddamn right mm-hmm. I would. That fucking place tortured mm-hmm. me. Like, so I don't, I, like, the ill will is like beyond, you know, a, the dean, or the president, or the whatever chipping his tooth. The ill will is because I don't believe they have any fucking capacity, mm-hmm. right? Our system doesn't have the uh, uh, the capacity.
1: Is it capacity or is it will?
2: Mm. not I don't want think it to. wants to. Yeah,
1: I think it works just fine mm. to sustain itself. And as long as that's the case, it won't change. And when things have changed historically, like when you think about the end of, like I can go all the way back to almost any major shifts in any institutions, they change because the needs of the system changes, not because folks suddenly get, you know, a good heart.
2: A change of heart. And they try to be a better human. Yeah, sure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, it works for the folks it's meant to work for. And, and, there's something to be said for those of us who are constantly trying to do the reform work. Like we're a part of the institution, but we're trying to change the institution while we're there. But I think anybody who does reform work knows the long, the frustration of being told that What you want to do matters, being told that what you're trying to do is valued, but running into robot blocks over and over and over again, being stymied in your efforts over and over again by the very people who say they want the change you're trying to bring, right? Um, And this is why reformers tend to burn out, you know, and institutions don't tend to keep folks who are really actually trying to change those institutions. If anything, they push them out. While still telling everybody this is what we're all about. We're all about love and community and da 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 da. But when you try to actually bring that, they ain't got time for you. You know. Um and I mean this this whole Rittenhouse acquittal speaks to that institutional mistrust. It's the reason that, you know, I do reform work because I'm invested in the same system that I hate. That same system pays my bills. So that's why I'm not on the streets setting trash cans on fire and throwing them through windows. But you'll never hear me talk bad about those who do. Because if it wasn't for those folks, nobody would fucking listen to me. Period. So... How can I not harbor ill will?
2: We think about um, things that we do to survive. And later in life, I'm trying to undo some of those behaviors that have, that I was required to do to make it to survive. Um, Example, uh, like perfectionism in the workplace and, and always having to show up a certain way and to do it this way and be, you know, as white as I could be to survive. And I'm trying to un- Interrupt that. Why am I not running at interrupting the harboring of ill will, both on a personal level and an institutional level? Is um, is what I'm currently asking myself.
1: A couple things. Yes, I want to run at being better. And it's always easier to do in the abstract. It becomes far more difficult to be better, be more graceful, be more patient, more loving, et cetera. When you give me something specific to contend with, when I have to contend with something at that level of specificity, it's very difficult to access grace, mercy, compassion, all of that. It's a protective mechanism. You are asking why we do that. Why we don't run toward that? Because we want to survive. We are trying to protect ourselves. So my
2: question, so my question, that and that's where I was going. So I appreciate it. Whiteness and me operationalizing it doesn't serve me, and I'm trying to stop that. Does protectionism, in the way you labeled it, is that something I sh- like? We need to like. I mean, it, like, is that is that the same?
1: So I think um, I want to make the distinction between what I perceive as manufactured fear, which is often what I see as the primary tactic in patriarchy, white supremacy, heteronormativity, et cetera. It's always that they're coming to get you story. And so they manufacture a boogeyman, a boogeywoman, so that they yeah. can then... Garner their followers into a protectionistic worldview. The shit we are talking about right now, folks are dead and this motherfucker walks. That's,
2: that's a good distinction. I'm with you.
1: I'm with you. That's not manufactured, that's facts. I'm, I'm with you. And so they have to make up their shit because we don't have a rash of black cops killing white kids. We don't have a rash of, you know, violence perpetrated from the left. That Antifa boogeyman does not exist. But the Proud Boys do. Yeah, they're my neighbors.
2: Literally, I live, like, in Proud Boy land. You
1: told me, yeah. Welcome to Portland. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think we take a moment, we mourn, we protect ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, if we have to, to the extent that we are able. And if we are about the work of healing, then I think part of that work is recognizing when we have to protect ourselves.
2: Okay, but let's let, let's go back and dig into the, the some of the terribleness of um, – you can speak for your psyche, but my psyche, you just reminded me of something. Like if I say I want to center healing and I want to I be better on a help, hold space for people who are healing and, and all the things, I remember when people at the University of Oregon were so fucking horrible to me. They kicked me out of the program. Like it was terrible. I had to do all this stuff because I wanted to say – because I – I dare to say in this leadership program, can we study non-white leaders? Maybe just one of them. (laughs) Um, but I would dream up things to do to them and just nurture (laughs) that dream. I mean, I wanted to buy sumac oil and put it under the car handles. Or on the railings of their homes so that they would touch it and then touch their body, their eyes. You know, like poison sumac or like poison ivy or poison oak. I used to dream of like getting vials and doing that to them. I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I still remember it. This was like-
1: I thought you were going to say, I spent a lot you know, of money ordering that shit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man.
2: like I used to like. I would talk about it. Be like, what? What if? What mm-hmm. if? What mm-hmm. if? What mm-hmm. if? That can't be healthy. Mm-hmm.
1: I um, I feel like I want to bring in a, a therapist because I have a feeling, like you know, my partner <laughs> is a therapist, and I have a feeling I know what she would say to some of this. You know,
3: what I think.
1: I say? think. What would she I say? Think, um. Channeling, I'm, I'm channeling channel her, her in right, right now, now right i suspect that she would say that even fantasizing to that extent in some ways is healthy right there's obviously a, oh a line
2: will she date me will she date me um, can you just can you like i want to her to be my partner will she be my therapist she might be a
1: therapist but i think you you are showing huge ovaries asking me if she would leave me to date you or date both of us or whatever other fuck up arrangement you had in your head. Uh that takes huge ovaries. I want to recognize that. I want to honor that. And also say, fuck off.
3: Seriously though, do you would think you she would date me? Move
1: because
2: on? seriously. I'm just saying if that's the message, <clears throat> that feels like more compassion than I've actually felt for self in a long ass time. Uh- permission.
1: Yeah. And so that's, Um, that's what I'm here for. Right. I'm here to remind you to be compassionate to yourself. Right. Um, You don't need to steal my partner to have access to that. She gives it to me. I pass it on to you. I am the middleman. Okay.
2: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and reach out to her on my own just so you know
1: so much. I know. Because I'm scared you're actually going to take her. That's what it
0: is.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. I have a feeling that um, the judicial system, the legal system, law enforcement will continue to provide us with plenty of practice at fantasizing chipped teeth, uh, poison sumac, um, dead judges, et cetera. And we have to be careful because when we talk about dead folks, it can sound like a threat, right? And we don't want to do that either. Um, But hey, bad publicity is still publicity. So fuck it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think that what I want to do for the sake of our show is seriously consider what it means to have those kinds of feelings come up in me in the context of institutions, because I don't think there's a huge gulf between how I hold um, such vitriol for institutions and how I hold vitriol for individuals. Yeah. Right. Right. I think one is a manifestation of the other and they feed into one another. And so I'm sitting here like, fuck this judge, fuck this judge. And I have legitimate reasons to feel this way. There is no question about that. However, what if I actually have access to the kind of community I want in the future? What if I actually get to build something with people and we're all living together? You know this shit ain't going to be kumbaya. You know this shit ain't going to be all harmonious. What happens when I have legitimate yeah. beef with somebody I'm trying to build community with? Is it also okay yeah. to be like, fuck them? Because what happens to the community at that point?
2: I think that's an easier one. Unless it's or is it. It's easier for me. That to me, with people who I'm trying to build community with, I've already made a, a decision or an investment in them. And most... I, well, like, I just, you know, had dinner with a dear friend last night who was was not supportive when I was called savage on a phone call by one of the highest ranked people in the state of Oregon in education. Um it took her a couple of days before she could come around and figure out how you know she was deep in her white fragility. But we moved toward each other with love and forgiveness and 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 it was hard. There was nothing easy about it. But I didn't harbor ill will. I don't harbor ill will. Um, I was super hurt and just actual heartbreak.
1: Um, but you also got to event. Do you think that helped?
2: I did. I laid into her <laughs> more, than, like, and I and I don't do that to humans. I don't. I laid into her, and she just. I mean, I was. I probably had never been more like desperately sad and angry Mm -hmm. and it was granted the incident was the straw that broke the camel's back for me but the betrayal i felt from her
0: Mm
2: -hmm. there wasn't like no i don't harbor ill will at all when i was angry and yelling i wasn't like hoping she would Mm -hmm. die or wither or even chip her fucking tooth or get poison sumac Mm -hmm. in her eye I I I wanted and needed her to hear and see me and my humanity and own up and and chase like right relationship and she did.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Do you think having the opportunity to get that off of your chest is what helped you not harbor it well do you think you would have been able to move without that conversation? Well,
2: see, there's a difference between, and you and I kind of said this a bit before um, we started recording. There's a difference between conversation and me unloading. Mm -hmm. Like, me unloading and she saying nothing Mm -hmm. would have been a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Me unloading and her saying, I fucked Mm -hmm. up. And not, like, trying to defend Mm -hmm. herself.
1: Just owning her
2: shit. And also not taking up space and owning Mm -hmm. her shit. She was very clunky, wasn't a lot of grace, but was, like, embodied um, ganas, the will, the mm-hmm. want
0: mm-hmm.
2: to have this, to to have us be in right relationship. And so, you and I had said, like, about people who were, w- this has happened with, like, God, a fucking apology would be nice, mm-hmm. right? That's the, like, the acknowledgement of harm and, and so i don't know it comes back to what you and i talk about all the time like what is what does relationship mean what does relationship yield what is what the part of community we're in is different if if what i'm hearing you say than the fact that i'd be fine killing a judge (laughs) again not threat people listeners i'm not gonna (laughs) track you down but I'll be fine if he fucking died.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot there. And I want I want to be more Jesus than I am. As I understand Jesus to be. I do. And I understand that for a lot of people, that is not something particularly a black man in America. That's not a sentiment we're supposed to have because I'm supposed to clap back. I'm supposed to be big and bad. I'm supposed to not take no shit from nobody and be quick to put my hands on a motherfucker when I feel like they're wrong. I understand the culture I grew up in. I know the context. I'm not ignorant of it, but that's not who I am. I've never been that dude. And I've always considered myself, by and large, to be a peacemaker who doesn't know what to do with his anger. Because it's not like I don't feel it. But I rarely sure. embody it. And then I, I know I've mentioned this before, right? That's how come I think every three years my fist ends up going through a wall somewhere. Because it just builds up. And I'm still at age 42 trying to figure out what is a healthy way to hold my anger. But in the meantime, um, I think I'm a lot like my father in that I try to prioritize peace first. I try. And um, <sighs> hating this motherfucking judge I ain't going to change him. I ain't going to change the system. There'll be another house walking next week. And me hating on this motherfucker ain't going to do nothing about it. It makes me feel more protected. It puts up a barrier emotionally for me. That'll serve a purpose. But once that barrier no longer is necessary, what do I have left? If all I have is hate for this motherfucker, I can't build nothing with that shit. So, I don't want to get rid of the hate, but if I can't al- alchemize it into something useful, mm-hmm. then it feels like a waste of my emotional energy and a drain on my own mm-hmm. soul. And I, yes, he don't deserve that. Yes, he doesn't get to have that. And so, yes, I'm gra- that's where I'm grappling. That's why I'm struggling.
2: One, agree with everything you just said. Yes, same. I'm not going to be able to enjoy even the rest of my afternoon, right? I can't like that. And it's all unfair and all of the things. I also just read this book. um, I think it's called Between Shades of Grey by, I can't pronounce the last name. It's S-E-P-T-Y-S. I can't remember how the last name is spelled. Ruth, I think it's the last name. And it's about... Stalin and what he did and genocide, Lithuanians being like, put in like these prison camps. And the character, the mom, is constantly compassionate to uh, these prison guards who are starving them, hurting Mm -hmm. them, killing them, beating them, constantly compassionate, no matter Mm -hmm. what. And when you talked about yourself and, like, the anger and putting peace first and blah, 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 like, I want to be that mom. Mm-hmm. And I have no compassion for self when I'm not. And I dream of, you know, someone who has harmed me, mm-hmm. <laughs> hurting or institutions who harm me. I Like, mm-hmm. it's an aspiration. And you said something, though, that that made me think. Like, that's not who I am. That's not my way of being. That's not my, I'm wondering, people talk about the concept of second nature, like what's second nature to you? And you'll see some people and they'll do something. You're like, oh yeah, that's not my second nature. My second nature is to blink or whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is. Um, Is it wrong to want something that isn't manifesting itself as second nature?
1: Can you ask that differently? I think I understand what you're asking.
2: Is it wrong to want to be like this character in this book, this person who like is centers forgiveness in this way and like love no matter what? Is it wrong to want that? If maybe there's like that's actually not me. That what if that isn't second nature? Mm-hmm. What if I am just like not I just don't have that capacity?
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't doubt that some of us are and I and I'm using archetypes or even tropes. Yeah. So, it's an oversimplification. I do genuinely believe that there are some people on this planet who just have warrior energy. I think there are those who have healing energy. I think it's hard to know what healthy versions of that look like because we live in a culture that celebrates violence, um, sees peace as a weakness engenders all of it
2: god damn every now and then you throw down some huge fucking kernels of wisdom that you did it right there i hope you cut that out that i validated that
1: i'm going to turn the volume up on that part and probably play some background music and loop it
2: don't lie you're gonna make t-shirts and hats and i was just getting warmed Sean up said- <laughs> yeah it's so fucking good and so fucking right what you just said.
1: God damn it, And it bothers you, doesn't it?
2: No. Yeah, that's just a given. <laughs> it's a given. no but it's helpful, honestly.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, <but, laughs>
2: I want it to not be helpful, but it was. So I I, I one, No,
1: I appreciate will. that. I know that's hard for you to say. And I appreciate that. <laughs> um I know we could go round and round about this forever. I do want to get to our guests.
2: Yeah, seriously, they've had to sit there and listen to us, like, cry, scream, swear, talk about ourselves for 40 minutes. This isn't good. (laughs) Right.
1: So this is a great time to bring them in. Um, Yeah. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to be joined um, by two dear friends of mine, colleagues of mine, bosses of mine, uh, lovers of community, and, and two people who have been dedicated to the work for a long time. Um looking forward to having Stevie Atkins and Teresa Springer join us. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen.
2: We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have.
1: If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support.
2: First, Head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together.
1: The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity now to introduce our guests. Um, I will read their bios, but I'll also talk about them more personally before we jump in. Uh, First and foremost, I wanted to introduce uh, Stevie Atkins. She is the uh, ceo of wellness services which if you're a regular listener you will probably already know that that is a space i've worked in for several years um stevie is from flint michigan and has worked in the field of hiv for over 20 years uh, beginning her career with wellness as a social work inter- intern before being hired on full time um, she's worked as an hiv sti educator and outreach worker an hiv tester medical case manager, HIV prevention manager, um, before eventually coming on as CEO in 2010. Uh, she's the co-founder of Safe Space Ally Center and LGBTQ plus drop-in center, uh, Flint's local syringe exchange program, as well as Flint's Gay Pride. Stevie remains committed and focused on social justice by highlighting any in- inequities within systems and ensuring there are places at the table for mon- marginalized individuals. Um, Teresa Springer, who is the director of programs at Wellness Services, comes to us by way of the House of Springer. She is indeed the first of her name, the writer of grants, the manager of programs, the shaker of systems, rejector of racist, homophobic, transphobic regimes, denouncer of discrimination, professional side ire of shady people, and lover of equitable solutions. Um, I know her to be all those things. I can actually back that. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing these uh, two women now for shit, almost a decade. And um, we've worked together in various capacities even before I came on to the staff at Wellness Services where I spent around five years of my life. And um, I knew when we started this pod that I wanted to get them on. Um, I've worked in multiple institutions in my life. And I think the thing that I took from my time at Wellness is that there are indeed folks who are genuinely trying to lean into the values that they proclaim they have. And that's never easy to do as an institution. And these two women have done that consistently in all the time I've known them. Um, The values of equity, seeing one another, hearing from one another, engaging with one another, um, is something that they've embodied consistently throughout my time there, And that has always left a huge impression on me. Um, They're committed to the work, they're committed to this community and they know their shit. They both know their shit. And so um, that combination of traits is one that I have found to be rare. I've definitely been spoiled by my time working there Um, and they're just really good people. And I'm so excited to have them. So, welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you
0: so much. Thanks for saying all those nice things. My imposter syndrome feels a little less in this moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what's up. I can, for a small fee, I can call you every day and just give you a few words to get you going. Easy. What's up, Teresa?
3: Hey. Hey. Um, I don't know. I love my Orkai, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> whenever
3: somebody reads it, I'm just like, "Hey, hey, hey!" You over
1: there dancing <laughs> in the background? I feel you on that shit. Fuck <laughs> it, fuck it. <laughs> it. No, but thank you all, um, for joining us. I appreciate you so much. Um, I wanted to, I guess, start off by <clears throat> asking about one of the very things I spoke to, which is the culture you all were looking to create as you're outward facing, you're doing a lot of inward work, right? So first things first, can we talk about the agency itself? What is it? What do you do? Um, and then from there, I wanted to move us into maybe thinking about how, what you're trying to do out in the community reflects back to what you're trying to do within the agency. Um, but yeah, what is, tell us about wellness in general. What is it? What does it do?
0: Um, what is it? What do we do? So wellness, uh, we started in about 1985. It's sort of just um, <clears throat> a buddy call hotline. Um, and that was to mm-hmm. address individuals that were recently diagnosed with HIV and were maybe coming home from the hospital to pass away, um, or they had other Social support needs. Um, And so it started out as a group of medical professionals um, that were connected to people living with HIV. In addition to giving them sort of um, individualized social support, they were also identifying resources that could assist them with end of life. Um, So that was very much where our roots were. We functioned that way for a long time. Uh, Our our sole service was HIV services, providing medical case management as well as um, HIV education and prevention services like testing and condom distribution and things like that. In 2010, when I came into leadership, um, I immediately knew Teresa needed to come with me up to leadership. And so she was already in a leadership position, but this really allowed us to take a look at um, our clients that have been historically excluded, identify the resources that they just weren't connected to or didn't have access to, um, find ways to create access points. Um, and so that's when the expansion of really hyper-focusing in uh, on drug users and the LGBTQ plus community in general. Um, that's really when we started developing those programs. That was the inception of, um, our syringe service program began then as well as uh, Flint pride and then our safe space center. Um, and so we've just continued to kind of build on the legacy of the organization. Um, you know, and I think that really our calling is about um, helping clients navigate systems that were not meant for them um, and helping them successfully, you know, advocate for themselves. And so sometimes that means, um, looking at our own internal structure and figuring out how we can best respond to this need. And is it external or is it internal? Is it something that, you know, really we should be functionally doing? Um, or are we not the person or the people or the entity? And it would be better for us to connect clients um, to external resources. And really the the infrastructure of the organization has always, always, always been about mutual aid. And I can't say enough about that framework. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, Teresa, um, I want to build off of what Stevie was just articulating and ask you specifically if you could speak to how that, again, that outward facing piece, right. What it is you all do in the community. Um, what feels important to you that in terms of what happens internally right the culture within the wellness um that I know you've always had a, a big hand in helping to develop and maintain I'm wondering if you might speak to that just a little bit
3: it's a really good question and um, kind of challenging to to answer um hurry up <laughs> must <say> it's mama <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I think what it is is um, we've we've been kind of like uh, taught that that work is awful, right? Like going to work and having to do work is just like a burden that we we have to do and not something that we get to do. Like I've been like this, this like for lack of a better word, like a rabble rouser all my life, like my entire life. I was just like, I hate systems. Mm -hmm. And my teachers was like, you don't even know what a system is. I'm like, you're the system. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I, I dropped out of high school, like really early because like, I just like, I hated it so much. And I loved wellness so much. Like I still love wellness. And like, I got, to go to work and I was just so fun and Mm -hmm. I really wanted other people to like feel that way and I felt like we did. We really took took a look at at our culture and wellness and who was contributing to the culture that we wanted and who didn't contribute. I remember that day in your office at like that U of M job, when you worked at the U of M, when me and Stevie came in and was just like, that's my help. And that conversation, like, I feel like Stevie was like a week or two after that. Like we like cut this, we like, cut the check. It was the next week. Right. And it was just like, we're, we're not, we're not doing this. And we started um, hiring in a more meaningful way. Not that we weren't hiring a meaningful way before, but this time, like we, we kept like revamping the process and we still do that. Like right now we're revamping the process um, because it feels like every year we're hiring because people move on and um, to, to things like you, how you moved on to this, cool thing um and left mm. us you know out to dry and didn't care about <laughs> us. like you know like you know but people got to move on and follow they fake heart and so <laughs> we have to revamp systems a lot wow and, and i feel like like a lot of times um with the clients and with with staff like like oh uh, organizations want that clear separation they want you to like be all about the numbers and all about like this systematic like almost like almost it's oppression and be like that with the staff too so coming in as a client is shitty and coming in as a worker is shitty in a lot of environments and that's not what we wanted here and so, like, coming in as a client at wellness, you, you're you going to be treated like you part of the wellness family. You're going to be loved on. You're going to be supported. You're going to be acknowledged. You're going to be met where you are in all that you are. So if you come in and like, I don't know. We just, we'll meet you where you at and we're going to make you feel good about yourself and not in a way that we're doing our best to make you feel good. Like we're like actively like, we're going to make you feel good. It's just natural.
2: I have a question for both of you. Um, well, one, it makes me want to work there and also makes me feel like shit. Is the work that I do. Does that matter? Cause the work that you all are doing clearly matters. Um, if you could roll back the time, both of you, um, and, and to Stevie, I'm going to ask you, you open with like a buddy called and said, let's do this. Well, people call the time and say, we should do this. We should do that. Or how about do that? You lean into that for a reason. Like, what was that? Where did that come from? And a similar question for Teresa, your, your, your phrase, like people don't have to live like that. You talked about it like, like I don't have to live like that in high school where it's going to be terrible to me. I don't have to, like, that you had a sense of sovereignty
0: of self. Roll back the time. Where did that come from? Pretty early on, I was saying things that were totally white and overarching, like, you know, I want to grow up and save the world. Um, You know, (laughs) (laughs) my 20s and 30s was a realization that that's not your job to save the world. But what you can do is provide access. What you can do is look at systems and how you contribute to the barriers that exist in those systems. And that extended to staff as well. You know, I was part of a lot of shitty institutions, a lot of bad bosses. Um, and so looking at how I suffered within those systems, and I know that that's something that Teresa has done as well, whatever that system is, like, let's figure out the hack and let's share that. Let's share it with our clients. Let's share it with our staff.
3: yeah I'll start with my mom um and not like oh my mom was the best because she was first of all <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know i'm I'm um I'm mixed and my mom's white um and sh- when she had my older brother she was um, put out from her family um it was um she came home from the army and um they found out who the father was uh, um her tim's dad is um filipino from the, his filipino and black and that black and that color mattered right and so it was like oh you have two choices adoption abortion get the fuck out and she got the fuck out and um from that she um she had a lot of hardships and when she met my godmom, whose also name is Teresa. Like, Teresa really, like, her name was T.D. That's what we called her, T.D. Um, When T.D., like, so my mom was, like, legit, like, like, so like, I don't know how to put it, but, like, she was so supportive. And the Black women that T.D. bought in my mom's life were all super supportive. And when my mom left my dad, who was abusive because born in 1928 and very much, um, like was like not a great person because like, how can you be a great person when you were born in Jim Crow as a black man and in the war as a black man and like just existing in fucking America as a black man? Like, how can, like, how can that be like, how can that produce greatness? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that it does, but like it did not (laughs) with him. And um, my, my mom ended up leaving my dad in the middle of the night. And was sleeping in the car. So during the day, she'd go over like T.D. or Carolyn House's. Carolyn House is funny because um, I have two friends. Um, I have a friend named Carolyn and a friend named K.K. And Carolyn's nickname was K.K. It was just like parallels, right? But anyway, um, and so like one day, T.D. peeped that my mom was sleeping in the car with me and my brother. And keep in mind, I also have a white sibling um, between me and my older brother, Tim, whose um, dad, it, who was white, obviously, decided that he didn't, can I, can I say the N-word? He did want his kids around um, niggas with the hard E-R and decided to snatch her one day in, in, when she was outside in the yard. And then when my mom went mm-hmm. to court, Nethercutt was the judge, mind you. Mm-hmm. Nethercut told her, you need to let this go or I'll take the rest of your kids. And so, like, it was, like, hearing shit like that growing up, right? But, like, when mom, when T.D. found out my mom was sleeping in the car, T.D. was like, Susan Jean Springer, what the fuck is you doing sleeping in the mm-hmm. car with those kids if you don't get your ass in this house? And, like, from then on, like, my mom always had, like, housing and support and love from Black women. Like, Black women really stepped in and, and helped and shaped who my mom was. My mom was very like, very just like open. And like, my mom would probably, like if she was alive and I could be like, mom, you know, you were anti-racist. Like they didn't even know you were. Like my mom, like I never heard my mom say the N word. Like I never, like my mom was so helpful to the community around her. And like, it was just this mutual support systems going on always. And like, you know, just growing up with that, and then being in elementary and finding out about the slave trade, about chattel slavery, I was just like, white people are awful. <laughs> 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 like, legitly, I was just like, oh, my God, it's so gross. And like, just how much like like how much support systems matter and like really good support systems and how some of them, some of us don't have that at all. So my friend, Shayla, I remember she ran away from school. I mean, she ran away from home because of school, because of her grades in school. And she legit like came over and I gave her like this sack of pennies I had been saving. And I gave her the number to reach. (laughs) We're like in ninth grade. (laughs) And so like, I've always had this like social work mindset like in school Mm -hmm. the teachers would always sit the new students by me because I was just very like welcoming and accommodating without trying to it wasn't forced um i ain't win no awards though i always like (laughs) (laughs) my teachers every every report card they was like teresa is really smart but that girl talks a lot and i'm just like gemini (laughs) son (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like those systems, I just like, I hated them as a kid and I, and I, and I grew up in them. You know what I mean? I grew up with, with like knowing that we were mixed. We were black. And people would not like us from that. And I remember like being on a bus one day, and this white lady staring at us. And my mom looked up, and she was like, "Are you staring at my black kids? Are you staring because my kids are black?" Like, and I was just like, "Oh shit, like, Susan, this is you know." And so like with that, like it's just. And then I just, I don't know how to put it, but I never wanted to do things that weren't fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like if i didn't enjoy then it and and like you know with elementary schools elementary school was fun you got recess you got the holiday parties you got plays and after school activities like rec- like elementary was fun and then they threw us into 7th grade and that shit sucked and that's when it went downhill So by 10th grade, I was over. I was over school. Every year it was the same lessons. Like, how many times you want me to take math? Like, I know one plus one equals, like, why we got to? Like, it was so awful. And so I just stopped. I was just like, I just don't want to be here. There's nothing good about this. And so I left. And I did that with a whole bunch of jobs, too. I know everybody knows the story of the uh, half a day at the pickle factory. (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Where uh-huh.
3: That guy was like, um, lunch is over. I was like, yeah, I don't work here no more. <laughs> he was like, the bus won't be here for like another four hours, and I like, and I will sit here for them four hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: well, I um yeah, I appreciate that. Um I wanna shift and for the sake of time, I'm gonna have to uh invite y'all into the to answer this question with some grace and velocity, as one of my uh colleagues likes to say. But um one of the things we're often wondering about is what you perceive as your calling in the sense of community, right? So I often set up a premise for our guests where I'm like, imagine um I've we've been able to co construct this, this like community and resources are not an issue and you get to approach um what you perceive as your calling without any fear of without any fear of um running out of resources with that said the gates are wide open You got the golden ticket to come on in and and join us and build what you think needs to be built. Based on your experience, what do you perceive as your greatest contribution to that kind of community? And just so you can start thinking about it now, it's a two-part question. What is your greatest contribution to that community? And when you're showing up and having a real shitty problematic day, what does that look like? Too, like what do we have to be like oh fuck Stevie having one of them fucking days like <laughs> what what could we expect? Um what does your petty look like?
0: Um so I think I see my role like I said like I had to dig deep to move away from martyrism like like the martyrdom like that wasn't me I didn't want to be a martyr I did want to help but I didn't want to, it wasn't my job to fix every problem that ever existed. But I do think that one of the skill sets that I carry with me always is a connector. Um, wow. A connector to other people that can get the job done, that are maybe already doing this work. There may be already an expert in their field. Um, a connector to resources. Um, a, a connection to your sense of self. I see myself as a connector. I'm not a fixer anymore. I used to think I was a fixer. I'm not a fixer. I'm a
3: connector.
1: All right. Thanks for that. and Teresa, what about you?
3: Honestly, I'm just like authentically like me in like any space that I go in. And like, cause you know, I don't code switch no more or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I hope that I'm mirror- mirroring, like that that genuine thing that people want to be, right? Like they want you want to be your authentic self and I feel like me being myself like shows other people like, "Shy, I could do that shit too."
0: Mhm.
1: On the flip side, um you all were here with Shandane and I when we were talking about harboring ill will. We got off into conversations about institutions and and all of that. And the thing that this entire show is dedicated to is this idea that we want to be our ideal selves as often as possible, obviously, right? We all want that, but we're not always going to be our, our ideal selves. We're just not. And so what I want to do with this show in part is normalize the idea that even those of us who are really big on social justice are not always just to ourselves and to each other so that maybe we can lessen the sting in the way we tend to, cause we can be pretty vicious to each other too. We
0: sure can. Right? It can be really toxic. Yeah, it can be exactly. Really toxic.
1: So my question to you is on a bad day in that same community, come on back to community. You you here with us, but you are having a shitty day to the point where you don't want to fuck with us, and we probably don't want to fuck with you that day. What does that look like
3: mm-hmm. for my community?
1: For you, how does how is Teresa showing up when she's having this when she's not at her best?
3: So I've got a I've had a lot of practice in not being my best with community. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, because, like you know, I lost my mom. I lost my dad, mm-hmm. and you know, with mm-hmm. my dad, it was like and my mom. But with my dad, you know, like what you were there and you were there, Stevie. Both of y'all was around when I was going through, like, like being the main care coordinator at, for my dad and how that looked and how mm-hmm. you know dementia does the brain with an angry old black man. Mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right so um, for my community, what I, I compartmentalize my bad day and I try not to like put it on them. Um, mm-hmm. with staff, I've learned to that, that that I am extra petty and extra like direct and to close myself off and like close that access to me off from them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like, and that that takes mm-hmm. time. Because I do got a real petty side. And it's not It's
1: not. <laughs> would you, uh, to the point, would you say your petty is, because um, I don't know that I would consider isolating yourself as petty. But if you're talking about, um, when you talk about being overly direct, are we talking about kind of a lashing out?
3: I've lashed. Is that what
1: you mean? Yep. <laughs> Stevie, what about you? Same, same question.
3: Uh,
0: so early on, I ate it, you know, I would have a bad day, things would be going on in my personal life and I would not let anybody know that I just Mm -hmm. ate it and I kept it moving. Mm -hmm. Um, the great Regina Laurie taught me, I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that she had taught us or just by doing it right was every time she facilitated a meeting, she would do that initial check in with you with everybody collectively to be like, you know, where are you sitting right now? Where, you know, what are you, what are you bringing to the meeting today? And just that opportunity to be like, you know what? I lost my car keys. The furnace wasn't working. I forgot my kid had a, you know, a parent teacher conference today. And I showed up to this meeting with all this energy and, and used to just sit through it. Right. while like, like I got everything going on. So am I really paying attention to what's happening in this meeting? Right. And those were working meetings. Like those were meetings where we got shit done. Mm-hmm. And so I think by Regina modeling that, mm-hmm. it allowed me, it gave me permission to release that to someone. And so, you know, now like Teresa and I will have our days where the a funder, a specific funder, has once again done some some fucked up shit that we disagreed with doesn't sit well with us and whatever i try not to project that but i am honest about what's going on
1: i want to thank you all for taking the time to be with us um and taking the time out of your your day to to be a part of this conversation deep deep appreciation um and thanks for giving me the space to develop as an individual, as a part of your organization. It was a really meaningful experience for me that I'll always take. And I talk about y'all great all the time, um, and hype y'all up wherever I can. So, as you thank shoot. you. As you damn, you damn right. <laughs> you, you, you damn right. <laughs>
2: Drive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting.
1: The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible.
2: Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit.
1: For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org.
2: For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com.
1: Dive in justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas-Jackson. Doug Ferenstein is our audio engineer. Sarah McCannless is our administrative support. Jennifer Cotting and Soraya yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotional support. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.